Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are in the midst of a study on the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been with us this summer, you know that we have been looking at this message that Jesus preached fairly early on in His public ministry recorded for us in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 that summarize a lot of Jesus' teaching during His early ministry. And we've seen a number of things that Jesus taught in this sermon, and today we're going to look and see what Jesus had to say about anxiety or worry. Now, I know that that is nothing that any of you have ever had to deal with. This is a terribly irrelevant passage of Scripture. No, Worry and anxiety is something we deal with, right? From the youngest to the oldest, worry and anxiety are things that we struggle with in this life. And I'm so thankful that Jesus taught about it. I mean, think about when was the last time you were anxious about something? You were worried about something. Uh, Some of you don't have to think very long. Some of you, you were concerned bringing your two-year-old to the service today. I know, you were concerned about that. But we're happy that they're here. Just know that. But when was the last time you were anxious or worried about something? You know, one of the the things that I think about with anxious and and concern would be if you're getting ready to go into a new school. I know some of you maybe just moved here this summer, and you're a kid, and you're getting ready to walk into a new school for the first time, and that can be a little overwhelming. You can be a little anxious, a little worried about that. I remember when I was living in Texas, after I graduated from OU, moved to Texas, was going to seminary, was working as a young life leader, and we were trying to meet students in Coppell High School. And Still, one of the most anxious moments I've had, honestly, in ministry, was walking into the lunchroom at Coppell High School, not knowing any of them, but trying to meet as many as possible. That was a a little bit of an overwhelming feeling inside of me. Some butterflies were certainly going that day. And you know what? I know that some of you in this room are getting ready to go to a new school, and you're going to be dealing with that feeling this fall, something that can make us anxious. For others, maybe it's waiting on a medical test. Have you ever been waiting on medical test results? Is the arm broken or not? Is surgery required or not? Is it cancer or not? As you wait for those results to come back, we we get a little anxious, a little concerned. Anybody here ever concerned about money? You know, how much money is enough? The answer to that is always a little more than we have, right? We look at the money that we have access to. We look at the amount of bills that are lying in front of us, and we get a little anxious about finances. We get a little anxious about all of these different areas of life. Anxiety and worry is something that is common to each of us. It's something that we struggle with. Now, what is it that we're talking about with with anxiety and worry? If we were to look that up in the dictionary, the definition would be something like this. Experiencing worry, unease, or nervousness, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Now, Anxiety and worry is not having forethought. It's not planning about the future. I mean, there are other passages of Scripture that will encourage us to plan for the future. But anxiety and worry is is fretting over the future. It is being consumed and dominated and and having tomorrow rob today of its blessings. Does that connect to anybody? Anybody can relate to that? Well, I think that we can. And because of that, we ought to be excited that when Jesus was on the earth, he, he chose to preach. One of the topics he chose to preach about was anxiety and worry. Knowing that we struggle with it and that humans have struggled with this issue for years and years and years since the very, very beginning, 
Jesus speaks to the topic of anxiety and worry. Don't you want to know what he has to say? I do, so let's take a look. We're going to look at what Jesus said about anxiety and worry from Matthew chapter 6. He actually says that it's possible for us to experience some victory in this area of our life. So let's see what he has to say about it. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. We're going to read verses 25 through 34, then back up and see what they mean. Jesus preaches in verse 25 and says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Now, in these verses today, I want us to see two things about anxiety and worry that Jesus has for us. The first thing I want us to see is just this very simple point. If we were to summarize what Jesus says here, he says, do not be anxious. Let's just say that together. Do not be anxious. That's what Jesus says in this passage. He tells us to not be anxious. Now, if we were to summarize a little further what he says, basically what he's saying is this. Don't be anxious because anxiety doesn't fit you as a follower of Christ anymore. There may have been a time and a season of our life where anxiety was comfortable, where anxiety was appropriate, where anxiety fit a person. But for those who know Christ, it is no longer fitting for them to be anxious or worried. Now, what is an illustration to maybe help us make sense of that? Um, I'm just going to pull out an, an article of clothing here. Now, there was a time, friends, when this was cool. There was a time when this was appropriate. There was a time in my life when this was the best piece of clothing that I owned. There was a time in my life where I wore this all the time, and it was appropriate for me to wear it because when I was wearing this jacket on a regular basis, I was a student at Bartlesville High School, and I was an athlete on a few teams. And so because of that, this jacket was an appropriate representation of who I was at that time. But here's the thing. If I were to wear this jacket today, what would you think? Your laughter is telling, friends. You would think I looked weird. You would think I looked a little funny. You would say, that's not fitting for you anymore. 
it no longer is a representation of who I am. My life has changed, and so the jacket no longer fits. Now, some of you would say it's changed this way. That's true, too. Um, but this jacket just no longer fits me a little bit. You know, it, there was a time when it was appropriate, but now it's just a little small. It's just a little smelly. It's just a little inappropriate. And though I can wear it right now, I can wear it. I can put it on. It's not the most appropriate thing. Here's the thing. What Jesus is basically saying in this passage is He says, before you knew Christ, before you had a relationship with the God of the universe, Worry and anxiety were fitting. Based on what you knew, based on the information you had, based on the trajectory of your life, you were right to be worried and anxious before. But guess what? Your life has changed and worry no longer fits you. And so Jesus encourages us to take it off. Now, we can put it back on. We do, right? But it's not fitting any longer. Okay, I'm going to remove the uncomfortableness and take this off. That's the point that Jesus wants us to see. It's inappropriate. It doesn't fit us as much. Now, what are the arguments that Jesus gives for why it doesn't fit us? Well, anxiety doesn't fit us as a follower of Christ for at least four reasons that he mentions in this passage. One of the the reasons that he gives is anxiety doesn't fit us because our worry is often about lesser things. We see this in verse 25. Verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What Jesus is saying is if we know Christ, then we have come to know that our lives are more than something that are just to be lived, just to be survived, that there is more to our life than just what we eat or just what we drink or just what we wear that there is something about the nature of humanity which is special and which is unique. Animals survive. People live in relationship with the God who created them. And Jesus wants us to remember that. Now, we live in a world that wants us to think that the most important things in our life is what we drink and what we eat and what we wear and the entertainment that is around us. That's, that's the message of the world. If you don't believe me, just pay attention to the commercials that we see. The commercials let us know what we ought to eat next to make us happy. The commercials let us know what we need to drink in order to experience happiness and fulfillment in life. The commercials let us know what we wear so that we look appropriate and right and cool so that we will be accepted by others. They they let us know what ought to be the the focus of our attention and our entertainment. We are consistently marketed to a message that says, if we do this, if we do that, then we will be happy. But as a follower of Christ, we need to remember that we know there's more to life than those things. We live on this earth. We get to enjoy the good things that God has provided, but there's more to life than just what we eat, just what we drink, and just what we wear. Jesus says, don't you know there's more to it than that? There's a relationship with the living God. And when we worry and fixate on the stuff of this world, then we find ourselves oftentimes being anxious about the stuff of this world. And Jesus says, we know better. We know that there's more to life than just what we wear, just what we drink, just what we eat. First thing is because our worry is often about those lesser things. Jesus makes that argument. Second thing he says, he says, anxiety doesn't fit us because God is God. 
I might go a little further and say, because God is God and we are not. There is one God of the universe and it's not me and he's not you. We live in relationship with that God, but we aren't that God. That means that even though there are things in this world that we are responsible, that we feel we have some responsibility about, we are not the one who is ultimately responsible for that thing. God sits sovereign over all things, even the things that we think are ours, that we own. And because of that, we shouldn't fret and worry all the time about the outcomes of the things in this world. We should let God be God. That's the the argument that he makes using these two illustrations of birds and flowers. He uses these illustrations to basically make an argument that goes like this, from the lesser to the greater. If a creator cares for his creatures, how much more will a heavenly father care for his children? That's the argument that, that Jesus is making here. So we see the Creator God caring for His creatures that are not created in His image, but are just creatures that are placed upon this earth. He cares for birds that way. Look at what it says in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 28, he continues, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? In both instances, the creator God provides for his creatures. We ought to be reminded how much more so Will our Heavenly Father care for His children? Martin Luther said this of this passage. He said, you see, He is making the birds our schoolmasters and our teachers. It is a great and abiding discharge to us that in the gospel, a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and a preacher to the wisest of men. Whenever you listen to a nightingale, therefore, you are listening to an excellent preacher. It is as if he were saying, I prefer to be in the Lord's kitchen. He has made heaven and earth, and he himself is the cook and the host. Every day he feeds and nourishes innumerable little birds out of his hand. Luther reminds us what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, that there is one God of the universe, and he's not us. And if the Creator God cares for his creatures of the birds, how much more so will our Heavenly Father care for us who are his children? Same thing he says about the, the lilies of the field. Now, when I hear lilies of the field, I think of a plant that, that I planted at my house, like lilies. We have some, I think, are they lilies, Kimberly? Uh, yeah, there's lilies on our, our, uh, the front of our house. I, I'm a real botanist. Um, I think of something like that. But in, in actuality, what is being talked about here is not the kinds of flowers that we plant, but really wildflowers. God has decorated hillsides, plants that really no human has gone along and planted seed, that we have not gone and watered, but God just decorates hillsides with with flowers. If God decorates hillsides with flowers, how much more so will God decorate His children? That's that's the argument in both cases. You know, those flowers that grow up on the hillside, what will happen to them? They're going to die. And in a culture that, that lacked sources of fuel, those dried pieces of a plant would be drawn together and burned up. They're very temporary, but even for their temporary beauty, God clothes the field with these flowers. 
The argument Jesus is making again is that our Heavenly Father can be trusted to provide for us. He's the one that sits sovereign over the universe. He's the God and we are not. Therefore, we should not be anxious. Now, a couple of of clarifications that maybe are are helpful in this. One clarification that I think is helpful for us to make is we think about God being God. Sometimes people will take this passage and say, well, this is proof that we don't need to work. We'll just sit around like a baby bird with our mouth open and God will just drop the blessing into our mouths. Um, But you know what? If you really watch birds, that's not how birds do it. I mean, the baby bird, yes, but not the grown-up bird. They actually seem pretty, pretty busy to me. Don't they to you? I mean, they're moving around the ground. They're looking for the worms. They're gathering stuff up. They're making a nest. God has created a world in which their needs can be met, but they still participate in it. Flowers of the field, there's an intricate way that God has created the world so for those seeds to get scattered and planted and grow. And so there are systems that God has placed in the world for these things to be accomplished. And I think what we should take from this is not, I'm going to do nothing and let God provide, but what we should take away is that we shouldn't worry about how things will go because God has created a world that in most normal circumstances our needs are provided for. That's one thing I think we need to see. The second thing I think we need to see, though, as a clarification has to do with trouble. Sometimes we see this and we think when we are told that we are not to be anxious, we also think we get an accompanied promise that we will never experience any trouble. Well, that's not true. I mean, just think of the context of who said this. Jesus is described in the Old Testament as a man of sorrows. He's somebody who would ultimately go to the cross, and he knew that cross was coming. So when Jesus talks about not having anxiety, it's not because he's saying that we will have no trouble. It's because he says that it's possible for us to see victory over anxiety, even in the face of trouble. Helmut Thielek, a German theologian, took to the pulpit as his country was being bombed in war and preached this message. He said, I think we must stop and listen when this man whose life on earth was anything but bird-like and lily-like points us to the carefreeness of the birds and the lilies. Were not the somber shadows of the cross already looming over this hour of the Sermon on the Mount? Friends, we can see... God provide peace in our lives when we remember that He is God and we are not, even if trouble is around us. Third thing that we see, anxiety doesn't fit for us anymore because anxiety is unproductive. If we know Christ, we're familiar with this concept that being anxious does no good for our lives. Verse 27 says it clearly, in which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Anxiety is not something that gives us life. Anxiety is someone who robs us of life. Warren Wearsby says this of this passage. He says, someone has said that the average person is crucifying himself between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries about tomorrow. It is right to plan for the future and even to save for the future. But it is a sin to worry about the future and permit tomorrow to rob today of its blessings. Friends, it's unproductive for us to worry. The worry about tomorrow robs us of God's best for us today. It's unproductive. You know, it's interesting, the phrasing that Jesus uses here in verse 27 that is translated, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Uh, can be translated two ways. 
It can either say by at, can, can add an hour to their span of life or can add an inch to their height. Now, as somebody who's always wanted to be six feet tall, um, I'm going to relate more to the latter than the former. Um, I've wanted to be six feet tall. I'm 5'10". I've wanted to be six feet tall since I was little because it would look great in the program, okay? And, and I wanted to be six feet tall. And yet there is nothing I can do to add an inch to my life. I can wear thicker shoes maybe. I can grow my hair a little taller, but that's about it. I cannot change my height. So why worry about it? You know what? I can't add an hour to my life. There's a time appointed for the Lord to take me home. So why should I be worried about adding in time to my life. See, being anxious adds nothing. It adds no value to our lives. So Jesus says, let it go. It doesn't fit us anymore. Fourth reality he says about why anxiety doesn't fit is he says, because when you are anxious, you're pursuing double jeopardy. On this, we see this in verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here's really what he's saying. He says, if you are worried about something tomorrow and then it happens tomorrow, you will not only worry about it today, but you'll deal with the pain tomorrow. You'll deal with that pain twice. Don't do that. Or you'll worry about it today and it won't happen tomorrow. And then you worried for no reason at all. It doesn't make sense for us to do this. You know what? We, we've experienced this as a city. Any Oklahoma City Thunder fans out there struggling with this right now? I mean, over the weekend, this exciting trade happens, and Paul George is coming here, and no sooner is Paul George, the, the announcement of his trade comes public, and people begin to worry, what if we can't resign him next summer? Barry Trammell wrote in his column about this. He's like, hey, just enjoy 365 days of Paul George and Thunderboy. Next summer's troubles will be enough for next summer. Enjoy it while you've got it. Don't let today rob tomorrow of its blessings. Or let, don't let tomorrow rob today of its blessings. See, we are, we are not to be anxious. Now, here's the thing. When we talk about anxiety and we say don't be anxious and we hear these perspectives and these arguments that Jesus gives, um, it's, it's, his logic is airtight, isn't it? I mean, you hear that and you go, yes, that's true. Of course, it's the Son of God. He's always right. But of course, that's true. I, I don't argue, Jesus, with your point that being anxious is not productive. I don't argue with your point that, that it doesn't fit me anymore and I, I, all these things. We don't argue with that point. But here's the thing. Do we still struggle with it? Yes. And so even though we've got the argument down, if we were talking to Jesus, we might want to raise our hand at this point and say, hey, Jesus, but how do I not be anxious? I, I hear your arguments. They're great, but where's the power to move past anxiety? Well, thankfully, in this passage, Jesus doesn't just give us arguments about why we shouldn't be anxious. He tells us where the power is to move past anxiety. That's found really in, in three things that Jesus mentions here. The first thing that he mentions is by placing our faith in God. We have the power to move past anxiety when we place our faith in God. Now, in verse 30, he says it this way. He talks about faith. He says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? In other words, faith can help us to overcome 
the anxiety that we are tempted to give into. Now, we see this even more clearly when we look at the context of this passage. Back in verse 25, the very first verse that I read today, the very first word of verse 25 is the word, therefore. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Well, when anytime, anytime you see a word, therefore, in Scripture, it reminds you that what is being said in this paragraph is intimately connected to what was said immediately before it. He's making, because whatever he said before, because that is true, then what I'm getting ready to say is the application. So how is it that we can see some victory over anxiety in our life? How is it that we cannot be anxious? Well, it's by applying what he said in the verses that immediately follow or proceed. In the verses that immediately proceed, begin back in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. And from verse 19 down through verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus makes three uh, comparisons. And he says, in our lives, we need to make three decisions. A decision related to where our treasure is, a decision related to our perspective, and a decision related to our master. And when we make those decisions, if we make those in a certain way, then we find ourselves placing faith in God that brings peace and not anxiety. He says in verse 19 through 21, he talks about this dichotomous decision we have related to our treasure. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to have victory over anxiety, if you want to have peace and not anxiety, Jesus says then just determine once and for all that your treasure is primarily in heaven and not on earth. If we think that our treasure is primarily on earth, we will be very anxious people. If our treasure is primarily in the stuff that we own, if it's primarily in the stuff that we maintain, if it's primarily in the things of this earth, we will never have peace. Why? Because we live in a world that is broken and breaking. Everything we have in a temporal way is broken or breaking. We need to care for it, provide for it. We're always fixing it. We're always maintaining it. It creates anxiety and anxiousness inside of us. If our primary focus in life is on this world only, then we will be anxious people. But if we make the decision that our treasure is primarily in heaven and we place our faith in that treasure that we cannot see in the God who provides it, then we find ourselves having stability because the treasure that is there is treasure that will not decay, will not erode, will not be stolen. It's, it's constant. It's steady. Therefore, we're called to place our faith in God and lay our treasure in heaven. Second thing has to do with our perspective, verse 22 and 23. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. There are two perspectives that we can have. Jesus says our perspective of life will either be influenced by the light, by God and His truth, or it will be influenced by the darkness, by this world and its agenda. And if our perspective is fueled by the darkness of this world, do not expect peace. Expect anxiety and worry. But if our perspective is fueled by God and His truth and His Word, then peace can come, real peace. Because again, 
God's ways are permanent and lasting. This world is broken and it's breaking. Jesus says, determine where your treasure is. Determine what will influence your perspective. And the third thing he tells us to do in terms of our faith is he says that we are to determine who our master is. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We have to determine who our master is. Will our master be God or will our master be greed? If our master is greed, we will never have peace. We will always be anxious. We will always be worried because there's, it's never enough. But if God is our master, then his acceptance of us is eternal. It's permanent, just like the song that was sung earlier. And so our, our hope can be fixed and sure. See, friends, if we want to have peace, we need to place our faith in God and we need to decide those three things. Where's our treasure? What will influence our perspective? Where's truth found? And who is our master? When we decide those things and we wake up and we routinely remind ourselves and our faith is in God and his ability to provide those things, then we can find ourselves on a path to peace and not anxiety. Are we trusting in Christ? Is our faith in him? Jesus encourages us to do that, to find power past anxiety. The second thing we see to have power past anxiety is to remember our father. Now we see this in verse 32. In verse 32, he says, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here's the idea. The people of this world are always going to be pursuing the things of this world. But if we are people who have trusted in Christ, this fundamental change has happened in our identity, and we're primarily a child of God, and God is our heavenly Father, and our heavenly Father knows our needs and can provide for them. Therefore, we can escape the cycle of worry and anxiety, knowing that God has got it. So we don't just place our faith in an idea. We place our faith in a father, a heavenly father, a perfect father who loves and cares for us. We power past anxiety by placing our faith in God. We power past anxiety by remembering our father. The third thing we see is we power past anxiety by seeking first his kingdom in his righteousness. We see this in verse 33, the, the famous verse here. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Here's the big idea of that verse. The big idea is that we would allow God's ways to become our ways. That we would allow his agenda to become our agenda. We would allow him to be the Lord and master and not ourselves as the one who is in control. We've seen throughout this uh, study of Matthew that we've been on that this idea of the kingdom is a look towards the future, towards the day when Christ will return to the earth and set up his kingdom on this earth and rule here forever in his power and in his glory and according to his purpose. And I think what Jesus is saying as he tells us here to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness is to say, live your life today in light of that day. Live your life today the way you want it to be lived on the day that Christ comes back to the earth and establishes his kingdom. Seek those things today. You know, if we were to think about this in a, in a 
kind of a practical way, just, just imagine that right in that, uh, that door right there, Jesus were to walk in that door right now. He were to return to the earth and he were to walk in that door. What would you want to be the things that characterize your life on that day? What would you want them to be? Well, for one thing, you're going to be glad you were in church. I'm just kidding. Uh, you're going to be glad, right? You're going to be glad that you're around the people of God. You're going to be glad that you're leaning in, that you're worshiped, that you're, you're worshiping Him. That's going to be one thing. You're going to be wanting your life to be characterized by obedience. You're going to want the investment of your time, your talent, and your treasure to be towards helping influence those around us to be followers of Christ. You're going to want to be involved in what God is doing in spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is the kinds of things that we're going to want to characterize our life on that day. And if that's the case, then seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness means that we're going to have those things that we will care most about on that day characterize our life today. What is it in our life that needs to be reoriented, changed in order for us to have our priorities of that day show up today? If that happens, not only are we following God, but He gives us peace instead of our anxiety and our worry. Jesus doesn't just tell us we are not to be anxious, but He tells us how we can have the power to move past anxiety. And here's the thing. I just want to come back to this one more time. Friends, it's possible for us to grab our stinky, inappropriate, not currently fitting anxieties and hang on to them. We can do it. You may have been doing it even while I've been talking. You can do it. You can grab it. You can, you can put it on you and you can wear it around. But you know what? It's, it's not becoming of our follower of Christ any longer. And I'm not just, I'm not talking to you. Some of you are like, you're probably looking at me. No, I'm looking at me. One of the things that I've found in life is that I have, as I've gotten, when I was little, I don't think I had a lot of anxiety or worry. Pretty carefree. But as I've gotten older and I've, more responsibility is around me, I've picked those responsibilities up and I find myself with more worry and more care than, than I've had before. And I'm challenged by this kind of a passage more and more. It reminds me, hey, Mark, you walking about in that worry, it's like walking around in your letter jacket. I wouldn't be caught dead at Homeland in this thing right now. And as a follower of Christ, why would we wear something that doesn't fit? Let's trust him together. Father, thank you for just your, your grace and your mercy towards us. I pray that we would be people who would just lay our concerns at your feet, that we would trust you, that we would make you our master and that we would have your word influence our perspective, and that we would pursue the treasure of heaven and not the treasure of this earth. Father, that you would give us peace, and that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Father, we need your grace and mercy for this, so we come to the altar and we accept the grace that you, our heavenly Father, can provide. We pray these things in Jesus' name. 